there is certainly a sweet spirit in here, and so I almost hate to break that silence with a good morning, but doesn't that sweet spirit make it a good morning? So let me tell you, it is a good morning. Do you agree, church? Say good morning. I, I am just absolutely blown away by um, all the awesome effort of our uh, worship team and um, what's brought us into the presence of the Lord this morning. So thank you all um, to everyone that's contributed to this service this morning. And I want you to know that I, I greatly value every opportunity I get to be up here because um, being able to share this beautiful um, thing we call Scripture with you is, is just an honor. Um, a great gift um, and an opportunity for me. And so thank you uh, for letting me share this morning. Um, we will be getting into our Kings or my, uh, our King Me series here in uh, just a second, but um, I brought a little prop with me. And so I hope you'll bear uh, with me being a big cheesy goofball. Let me make sure I've got all my stuff this morning. Um, so you may not be able to see it in the back, um, but this is a transformer. Okay. Everybody know what these are? Everybody's pre- I know Weston does. We get along, man. Uh, so this is a transformer. Um, it is a Voyager scale 2006 Classics Optimus Prime, to be specific. Um, and I could tell you that my son loves these, okay? But that would not be, like, a totally accurate statement. Um, my son and his earthly father love these. Um, and they are so cool. I mean, the dual exhaust comes off, and it turns into a little Energon repeater. Pew, pew. It's like really cool. Um, and so I, uh, growing up, and even sometimes today, like just cannot get enough of these. They're so much fun. And I want to talk to you about this one specifically. You see, this, this special Optimus Prime used to be mine. Okay? Now, I, I'd love to tell you that I got it when I was little. Um, that, is, that is very much not the case. Um, I got this one when I was in college, um, long, long before I was married and uh, long before I ever had a seven-year-old boy to justify consistent purchases of toys. Um, but, but this one was mine. It was uh, my little college roommate. He sat on my desk facing me and he watched me pretend to do my homework every single night. And um, I love this thing. It's, it's, it's a fun piece of my, my history. And, um, but time went on, and I took my Optimus Prime and all of his gear, although I'm missing a piece. I need to talk to you about finding it later. Anyway, um, but uh, I, I took this Optimus Prime, and I tossed him in a box full of uh, uh, other toys and memorabilia that I had as a child. And um, uh, a couple years later, I, I find myself married. And a couple years after that, I find myself with a son. And lo and behold, there's the box sitting in my garage. I have to open it. My son is finally able to receive all of the Transformers and G.I. Joes and Hot Wheels that used to, to be mine. And so this one's, uh, this one's special because it was sitting right on top. And I handed this one off to my son, and he has cherished this for years and years and years. But this one specifically is very special because it's been mine and then my son's and then mine again, and then my sons, and then mine again, and then my sons. It's, it's a very interesting pattern we have. You see, my son, uh, by love language, is a gift giver. Okay? He, uh, he likes to show you that he loves you by giving you something. 
and he gets just as much joy out of giving a gift as he does receiving it. And so I'll find out most of my birthdays or any of those holidays, I'll, I'll come inside my house and he'll go, Dad, sit down, sit in your chair. I got you something for your birthday. And then he'll come out with a Meyer bag or an old shoe box or a t-shirt of questionable cleanliness and inside will be my old college buddy, Optimus Prime. Every time. And what's great is, you know, I, I know the pattern. A few weeks later, what'll happen is he'll see it sitting there on my nightstand and he'll come in and he'll go, um, ooh, dad, question, um, can I borrow your Optimus Prime, you know, for just a little while? I'll bring it back. I'll put it back and, and I'll look at this sweet little dude and I'll go, hey pal, it's, it's yours. I, I gave it to you, man. I just wanted you to be happy. And so tell you what, how about, how, about, how about it's yours again? How about it's yours again? But you know what? I, I know for certain is going to happen. My birthday in November, and before you know it, Christmas rolls around, and there will be this exact shape sitting in my stocking days before Christmas. And it will be the same toy again. I love my son in that super bias, he's the best son in the universe kind of way. I am way partial. And my son's position in our home is going to help us understand something, excuse me, something incredibly beautiful about how God sees us and loves us and desires us. Now, each of the last couple of weeks, we've looked at an Old Testament king, each time, and uh, each of them have had a less than endearing nickname. Okay? If you guys remember uh, a couple from the last couple of weeks, um, we have had arrogant Asa, and we have had unreceptive Uzziah. Definitely less than endearing titles for our friends here, but I think it is incredibly important that we are in this series the way we are, looking at these kings because we are not immune to their condition, their poor actions and their um, poor attitudes and postures. These men have made king-sized mistakes. And sometimes I need a king-sized example to make sure that I do not fall like these individuals have. And so today, I, I needed to come up with an unflattering nickname for the king that I would be sharing with you today. Um, and Lenny shared one with me just anecdotally as I was running around the office, and I said, hey, can I have Jeroboam? And, and he's like, oh yeah, jerk face Jeroboam. And I'm like, okay, well, that's what I'm going with. And so I wanted to put jerk face Jeroboam on a slide, but I also didn't want some of my craftier friends to like get an angle where it just said jerk face over my head. And so uh, I'm not putting it up today. Um, but today we're going to be talking about jerk face Jeroboam. Now, we see this character, Jeroboam, and he is a special kind of jerk. Sadly, he is a jerk that I identify with far too closely. But uh, first off, Jeroboam was a director of public works under the reign of King Solomon. He had some authority. He had community influence. Solomon put him in charge of fortifying part of Jerusalem, and he did his job relatively well. But after some conflict in the kingdom, he fled only to return 
a delegate to either change Israel or split a kingdom. Okay? And so here we see a kingdom divided. Judah to the south, Israel to the north. And the northernmost kingdom rejected Rehoboam in the south, in the kingdom of Judah. And they brought in their good buddy Jeroboam to lead in place of the heir to David's throne. They're going against the rules there. And Jeroboam receives this authority and he begins almost immediately to act like a jerk. Making huge and heinous, grievous mistakes that broke a lot of things. And I identify far too closely with that. So let's read. I want to make sure that we're connecting this story. Um, let's peek in at Jeroboam here in First uh, Kings chapter 12, verses 25 through 33. Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. From there, he went out and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said to himself, The way things are going now, the kingdom might return to the house of David. If these people regularly go to offer sacrifices in the Lord's temple in Jerusalem, the heart of these people will return to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will murder me and go back to the king of Judah. So the king sought advice. We're about to find out that it is awful advice. After seeking advice, then he made two golden calves and said to the people, going to Jerusalem is too difficult for you. Israel, here is your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. He set up one in Bethel and put the other in Dan, and this led to sin. The people walked in procession before one of the calves all the way to Dan. Jeroboam also built shrines in high places and set up priests from every class of people who were not Levites. Jeroboam made a festival in the eighth month on the 15th day of the month, like the festival of Judah, he offered sacrifices on the altar. He made this offering in Bethel to sacrifice to the calves that he had set up. He also stationed priests in Bethel for the high places he had set up. He offered sacrifices on the altar. He had set up in Bethel on the 15th day of the eighth month. He chose this month on his own. He made a festival for the Israelites, offered sacrifices on the altar, and burned incense. Some of you may think to yourselves, that sounds like a very, very familiar bad idea. That sounds like something we've experienced in Exodus, perhaps, <laughs> where these people of Israel are leaving Egypt, and not, lo and behold, there is a golden calf. They turn all of their focus away from the Most High God that had delivered them, and there is a golden calf. Um, I'll, I'll just read this part for you, but then we'll get to another section of Exodus. Uh, Exodus 32, 7 through 14. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They had turned aside quickly out of the way that was commanded them, and they have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen these people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. That's actually ancient Hebrew for jerk. Stiff-necked. 
in Exodus chapter 20. It's actually going to give us the cure, but I want to examine that one with you real quick if we could pull that one up. Um, Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 and 5 um, say, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord... I'm a jealous God. And he goes on to talk about his hurt and his anger at these people that would do this. And so, so God definitely has a pretty good standard here. Stop making calves. Look to me. And here goes jerk-faced Jeroboam. And in every little part, he's building up his own group of priests. He's, he's building up like his own dates and times and holidays and opportunities, all to glorify himself. He sets up those two golden calves in, calves in Bethel and Dan. You may not have even needed me to read the Exodus account to let you know that that is a bad idea. And he did all of this just to validate this little selfish thing inside of him. You may be asking yourself, hey, self, this guy sounds like a jerk, of course, but what does it have to do with me? Jeroboam is full of himself. He's paranoid. He's an idolater of the highest caliber. But folks, Jeroboam's sin is my sin. And Jeroboam's sin is your sin too. And I'm here to impress upon you one crazy idea. That God's jealousy that was referred to in Exodus is the very cure for my wandering heart and yours. You see, Jeroboam's idolatry was finding his identity in his, and see if you relate yet. Jeroboam's idolatry was finding his identity in his abilities, in his politics, in his nationality, in wealth, in desire for worldly success, in his feelings, in his own security, and the attention he was getting. He went all out to ensure that he was comfortable in this way, and that led him to build calves of gold. Maybe you didn't build a calf, but maybe you form your identity based on how you succeed or how people view your success. Do you default to politics or tribes before you default to the word and God's will? Which is silly at best and paganism at worst. Would you compromise who you are and who you're supposed to be for security, money, provision? Do you value attention over right living? Are you fed up with your addiction but not enough to confess it? And do you battle with it with the Lord's help? Do you display a bad attitude when things simply just don't go your way? You may be saying, well, sure, those things happen. It's not like I built a golden calf and told people to bow down to them. But, oh, church, these very attitudes are what built calves. The very same calves. With any one of these attitudes I just mentioned, you are susceptible to becoming a golden calf architect. Without the gold in the form of any animal, churches all across America build idols of worship styles, pews, chairs, candlesticks, seating assignments, and even behaviors. 
Lord, forgive us. There are so many friends that I love and you love that were pressed out of the life of some church that have a memory of going to church, but it's not for me anymore. Asking questions about God, but it's not for me anymore. There's too many hypocrites over there, or there's too many people. I just had a bad experience. Has anybody ever heard that in discussion with someone? It is because they came into a place and bumped over somebody's idol. Church, people outside of our churches are lost, but so many times it's not because they're rejecting God or the Bible or any other thing we might value, but it's because they're coming into buildings that call themselves churches with no room left because there are idols there. Here in Grant County, in many churches, sits Jeroboam's throne with golden calves. There sits Jeroboam promoting unqualified men to be pretenders of righteousness to help establish his authority, and it just kills me that so many people would call themselves Christians and sit on this throne of Jeroboam. Those people that you care for and pray for deeply with groaning and tears, they they may even think there's something to this God, but I can't get over the hurdle of a childhood experience or a disconnect when a Christian pretender hurled abuse at them for behavior. Behavior. Jeroboam would trade all sorts of these things. He would trade having God for priests. He would trade having God for territories. He would trade having God for provision. Folks are dying out there without a savior right now. And if you haven't identified with Jeroboam yet, can you at least accept my premise? Can you at least accept my premise that sometime after we close today, somewhere in this city, someone in their Sunday best will sit down in a restaurant and speak harshly with their waitress. All in the name of a golden calf named customer service. Can you accept with me that that person that cut you off on the bypass, though made in the very image of God, received your verbal wrath, all in the name of a good driving score, a golden calf called good driving. And if that very same person came weak and trembling before the Lord, convicted and ready to turn to him, and he walked into this place and saw you, he'd walk back out. Can you accept that somewhere in this town, lined with churches, there are plenty of churches in this county. I can throw a tennis ball really hard and probably hit the next one. Can you accept that somewhere, at least in one church in this town, someone walked in with tattered jeans smelling like smoke and someone rolled their eyes at them? All in the name of a golden calf called appearances. Maybe it happened, maybe it didn't. Not here, right? But will that tattered pair of jeans ever walk into church again? 
the pharmacist you chewed out, the person who cut your hair incorrectly, Amazon customer service, could they all testify that you are a life giver? Now hear me, if you're here today and you are testing the waters of church again or for the first time, I'm sorry. I am deeply sorry. I have heard too many stories of what Jeroboam's have done. I heard how the churchgoer ridiculed you years ago. I've heard how you felt looked down upon. That hurt you. But you should pity them. Because they're not in touch with God's jealousy. I brought that back. We're, we're, we're going into God's jealousy. I want you to understand this, and I've, I've done a little bit with jealousy before, but can you imagine if Jeroboam would take his own eyes off of himself and accepted that God is a jealous God? He would be remembered as a kingdom uniter. He would be remembered as a kingdom uniter rather than what he was remembered for. And if I went around here and gave you bonus points, if you could name off all your facts about Jeroboam, other than what I told you a few minutes ago, you'd come up pretty short, would you not? What do you remember about Jeroboam? Anyone? Jeroboam was so bested. There would be way more kids named Jeroboam. <laughs> That'd be a way cooler name. <laughs> Instead, he is barely remembered at all. That and, and if you do your research, you'll see that he did battle with Judah on a couple of different occasions. And what was uh, strange was though he and his forces outnumbered Judah two to one, the men of Judah, in a time where they were faithful to God, wiped out 400,000 of Jeroboam's men. His legacy is pitiable. Folks, listen to me. We need to acknowledge this great, fiery, beautiful jealousy of our God and allow it to crush the jerk face spirit that is so common. And so I keep saying God's jealousy. A jealous God, what does that term mean? Um, I've had a lot of people argue with me on this, people that are not believers by any stretch of the means, but um, it seems like a very human trait to say jealousy. And, in, and that should, of course, fall under some great screw, scrutiny. Uh, many of our, mo, uh, excuse me, many or most of you have experienced this very human idea of jealousy, right? That someone has something you want. Um, that, that word is uh, said in Scripture like this. And let's uh, go ahead and get my calligraphy up there on the board. Let's keep that there for just a moment. Um, I'm going to put uh, whoever's in the booth to work today because we're going to go back between a couple here. But some of you have probably even at Overflow or even here done this exercise with me. This is the calligraphy for man's jealousy, okay? And I'm going to be a big dork about it. I'm going to make you repeat after me, okay? Everybody say, ka-na. Okay, that is this word, ka-na, man's jealousy. It translates to, I want what I don't have. Fair so far? Now, I want everybody to look at me, and while everybody is looking at me, I want um, our guy in the booth to go to the next slide, okay? So everybody's with me, okay? Everybody see the difference? So this word is kana. <laughs> right? Kana. This is God's jealousy. Isn't it beautiful? <laughs> 
All right, so, so folks in the booth, John, I see you up there, buddy. Real quick, let's switch back to Kana. See it? Now do it again. Switch back. Everybody catch it? One more time. Switch back. Man's jealousy. Kana. Switch back. God's jealousy. Kana. <laughs> Kana. This sounds so fun. <laughs> this right here is God's jealousy. Kana. I think it's beautiful. Because you saw that, that, what was the difference? Did you guys see the little difference? It's a little dot. Okay? It was the difference, John, let's go back to the other real quick. It's the difference between that jot being low, do it again, go back, and being high. God's jealousy. This does not mean I want what I don't have. Because that jot goes from the bottom to the top, and when they do that, Grammatically, it changes it from a statement to a statement of ownership. It's possession. So he is not saying, I'm a jealous God. Exodus chapter 20. He's not saying, I want what I don't have. (laughs) He's saying, I want what's mine back. I want what's mine back. He has ownership, full ownership. That one little marker moves its place. It's like S and apostrophe S in in our understanding of it. We we only see this marker show up in the kana, ownership. So when men are jealous, they're just saying, I want what I want. But when God... Says it, he says, you're mine. I'm jealous. How awesome. How, we said the word a thousand times today, how amazing is that? What kind of undeserved value is that? How incredible is it that the one and only God of the entire universe thought of you as art at your conception and poetry at your first breath and says that you belong to him. You do not have to perform ritual or rite to receive this love. That this idea of ownership, this jealousy, is the antithesis of the idolatries of Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, and even the prosperity gospel. It breaks this that you would have to perform tasks to earn up salvation and blessing. It literally even says in the Mormon scriptures, I'm not even going to tell you the reference because what, where would that take us? But uh, see me afterward, I'll be happy to to go over it with you. It says in uh, the Mormon scriptures, for we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all that we can do. After all that we can do? Folks, if I heard someone talking to my son like that about me, we'd have a tussle. Your dad doesn't love you unless you prove yourself. Zeke, your dad won't let you back into his house. You've messed up too much. No matter how much you want to make it right. You're going to have to forget about it unless you do something special. 
I said I'd use my son as an example, and we're getting close to the end here. But if you can imagine this little boy, and most of you have met him, my son's an incredible little dude. Ezekiel Hunter for president, 246. I don't know. I'm just making up a number. (laughs) I want to take this very same transformer. If you can imagine this little boy that takes this little transformer every single year and thinks about his daddy so much that uh, even when he doesn't have a penny to his name, he'll find a way to show love. What an incredible thing. But imagine with me, and this is all hypothetical, Imagine with me that little boy grows up and it's 15 years from now, by the way. I don't, I don't think this will happen, but I don't know. And imagine with me that it's 15 years from now and that little boy you know, finishes up and heads out of college and he's off on his next adventure. And, you know, maybe our communication, our correspondence breaks down a little bit. My buddy, my goofball. Maybe I haven't heard from him, except that call I got on my birthday, you know, and, and maybe in July he'll call, you know, just to check on mom. And, and maybe, maybe I'll see him at Christmas, but not Easter. You know, he was busy. He was busy. Now imagine after a whole year of silence from my one and only son, I get a text or a laser gram, or whatever they're using 15 years from now. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just making stuff up. <laughs> and that text, or whatever message it's called, goes something like this. Hey, just making sure I have the correct number. Is this the Reverend Dr. Zach Bardsley? I have high ambitions, by the way. I'm not there yet. So. And I say, Zeke, it's your dad. Sorry, new phone. Hey, uh, listen, Haley and I are getting married. Whoa, bub, who's Haley? Is that the same girl from your profile picture? What's, what's going on? Yeah, Dad, sorry, I've been meaning to bring her out, but I've been busy with this new job. New job? Zeke, can, can I call you? Maybe later. Anyway, the invite's on the way, but I want to make sure you uh, save uh, a certain week and time for travel. She wanted to get married in Europe, so uh, I'll call next week. We'll get stuff worked out, and it'll be nice to see you again. End of correspondence. Of course, after that, I'm a wreck. And so I would Facebook stalk the tar out of both of them. <laughs> and let's say Zeke, maybe this is hypothetical. Maybe he's gone off the deep end and, and partying with this young lady. And, and I know that that's not how I raised him. There's alcohol and maybe even substances in the background of many of the pictures. And it looks like he's throwing his money away constantly. And I message a couple of his friends that I know are still in good contact with him, just that, you know, I'm worried about him, and they just say, me too. And I stay awake at night, worried to death and praying for my boy. And Zeke calls three days later and tells me how great the hotel in London is that I'm going to be staying in, and how he will have everything for me and my lovely wife, Brittany, all set up. Folks, even in this hypothetical story, do you see it? I don't want hypothetical Zeke's stinking hotel room. I don't want plane tickets. I don't want amenities. I I want him to dig in his garage and find a dusty old box and pull out this transformer and come back to my house and knock on my door and be my son again. 
That's all I would want. Plane tickets? Big deal. Come back to me. Weren't you mine? Is this not the story of the prodigal son? Luke chapter 15, 24. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So then they began to celebrate. So, to anyone in here who calls themselves a Christian, is there one thing or a million things that keeps you from real intimacy with God? It could, it could be from the way you dress or the way others dress, or what you look at online? Does it stop you from sharing the good news that we belong to God? Then the very thing, whatever that is, this idol, so pitiable, but don't lose heart, because you too are God's very own possession and need nothing but his grace to rescue you and your neighbor. I pray that God starts working in these places in both your heart and mind so the newcomer to faith sees Christ and not Jeroboam. To anyone in here who may not have called themselves a Christian when you walked in, today God's jealousy is just as much your cure. His jealousy saw how far every single one of us would go to get lost, and he sent his son to save us. There are no hoops for you to jump through to get to the cross. Titus 3.5 says he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2.8 and 9 says, For it is by grace You have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. You are God's child, and he just wants you back. I'm not here today to say, hey guys, guess what? God loves you. We have abused the impact of that word in this culture, and I'm here to tell you something far deeper and more critical anyway. But we mess that up pretty hard, don't we, church? We will say God loves you. And every single person that hears that does not have to give up their idols. They'll say, great, somebody ought to love me. Or I love me. Churches all over America will say God has great plans for your life. And of course that's true, but it's not the full story. Folks will say, great, I have big plans too. And not a single idol will fall down. These golden calves, these bales, these false gods, whatever it is, lust, addiction, pride, greed, they stand bold when the only antidote is presented to be good plans. God has good plans for you. Great, and there stands my idols. But church, he is so deeply jealous for you. He loves you For sure. His plans are for sure. But the only thing that encompasses both of these things and then kicks over your idol is the phrase, but you're mine. And so do you believe that today? Let's close with this. And this will be the last thing I say uh, before the worship team comes up and rejoins us for, uh, for just a moment here. 
But again, if you call yourself a Christian today and idols are getting in the way, your actions and your attitudes give you that jerk face spirit that pushes people away from God. So, please, I beg you, come confess. I put idols up in my life. I I don't want you to put idols between yourself and others and others in Christ. And anyone within the sound of my voice that would not have said, yes, I am a Christian. Yes, I am living for Christ. Let me warn you, okay? The devil wants to sound like he has the right idea right now. He wants to say things like, and it'll sound like this in your head, and it'll be reasonable. Yes, you messed up in your life. And sure, that message moved you, but you just have a couple things to work out on your own, and then you can get back into church. Then you can confess. Let's get some things straight first so that you know, we can come back to God soon, soon. You know, not today. You don't want to look like a fool. You don't know enough about this you know, Christian stuff yet to make this happen, but you, you'll, you'll come around. No, God's voice sounds like this. Sure, you messed up, but you're mine. I don't care how dirty you were, I will clean you. I don't care how broken you are, I will fix you. I don't care how lost you were, I will find you every time. Please come home and give me back what's mine. So whatever that looks like for you, we're, we're going to have that reception of the pastors over there in the cafe afterward. If you have questions about what it means to give your life to Jesus, we're right here. There's, there's going to be refreshment, but that's far more refreshing, is it not? To know with certainty in your heart that you belong to God. And so I, I've asked the worship team to share with us a couple of songs today, and then I'll uh, pronounce the benediction over you. But if you're a believer that needs confession, confess in prayer right now and find somebody that you're accountable to to share that with so that they can pray with you. If you are not a believer, come. Just come. Come home to the God who's been chasing after you all along.